Good morning. It's an honor and a joy to be back here. Thank you, Dr. Nyquist, and thank you also for letting one of my four sons into Moody. Uh, Jacob would be a freshman with you all right now, except that we just made Aliyah and were accepted as new citizens of the state of Israel. So this is a big game-changing moment for us. But we are big Moody fans, and Jacob's with me uh, here for these couple of days. And then we head to Joshua Fund board meetings in Washington. And then we head to Korea where we'll be teaching on, uh, to, at seminaries and major churches on God's plan and purpose for Israel and the people of the Middle East. So appreciate your prayers for that. I want to start this morning in Ezekiel uh, chapter 33. Ezekiel chapter 33, the ancient Hebrew prophet uh, writing more than 2,500 years ago, uh, is re was re really an extraordinary man. He was part of the captives of the Jewish people that had been taken captive from the land of Israel, from Jerusalem, taken to uh, Babylon and was part of the Babylonian Empire under King Nebuchadnezzar. But God came to him and spoke to him and raised him up to speak prophecy both to the, the Jewish people, uh, Israeli people living under captivity and through them and through uh, God's word to us and to the nations. And a really interesting and I think timely message comes for us from Ezekiel chapter 33 beginning in verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, speak to the sons of your people and say to them, if I bring a sword upon the land, upon a land, and the people of the land take one man from among them and make him their watchman. And he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people. Then he who hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take the warning and a sword comes and takes him away, his blood will be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but he did not take warning. His blood will be on himself. But had he taken warning, he would have delivered his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and, this, uh, and a sword comes and takes a person uh, from them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from the watchman's hand. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel, so that you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. Let me try that again. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to, uh, to warn him from his wicked way, that man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man, to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your life. 
These are very sobering words, and I believe they have great relevance uh, for you and I, and particularly you as people who are studying the Word of God, studying the Bible, and learning to be both a student of and a communicator of the Word of God. We must take this book seriously. We must take the Word of God so seriously. And when God tells us to speak words of the gospel, the good news that there is hope amidst uh, sin, there is hope in a dangerous and evil world, hope only in faith in Jesus Christ, we need to communicate that faithfully. And when we see warnings of people, individuals and families and churches or nations or in the world facing grave danger, grave threats, and we do not warn them, those dangers and judgments will come. Those threats will, will, will materialize, but we will be held to account. Now, I accepted Dr. Nyquist's uh, invitation because I see several threats I want to put on your radar screen and draw attention to at this hour. The first concerns our own country, the United States. I'm, just to be clear, a dual citizen. Uh, the United States and Israel allow you to be a citizen of both countries, so now that's where we are. So we are actually just moved to Israel, uh, but we were, our hearts are, are sort of 100% in both places. Uh, of course, we have our third citizenship, which is our most important, and that's a citizenship in, in heaven. And I hope that each of you have that citizenship and are not only citizens of the kingdom of God, but are faithful ambassadors of that kingdom. I see a grave danger to the United States a grave danger to the state and people of Israel and to the Christians, the followers of Jesus Christ throughout the Middle East. And I want to speak just briefly on each of those three and, and ask you to consider those and ask the Lord what's your part in, in, in dealing with these three grave and enormous threats. First, to the United States. The United States of America is not simply in a period of decline. We are facing outright implosion. I wrote a whole book on this, Implosion. Can America recover from her economic and spiritual challenges in time? But to summarize that, yes, we have enormous economic challenges. We have $17 trillion worth of debt. We have you know, 80 million baby boomers who are about to retire with Social Security and Medicare benefits that we have absolutely no way to pay for in, in, in totality. So we have about 55 million, or billion, I'm sorry, let's try that again, trillion, trillion, that's where we've gotten to. 55 trillion dollars worth of debt we will, will have to pay that we have no way to pay for. So there's a whole economic side to this, but I don't want to focus on that today. When I say that our country's in danger of collapse, of implosion, not just decline, what I mean is not simply could we unravel economically, we could, if things aren't changed. But I'm also ta I'm talking about the moral, spiritual, cultural side. Uh, obviously, we have incredible violent crime. I don't need to speak to you. You live in Chicago. So you know how urgent it is to pray for uh, a transformation in this city. But this is true all across the United States. Violent crime, murders, rapes, domestic abuse. Uh, you, we're talking about drugs and, 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 and divorce. We don't even have to talk about the implosion of the country. We're talking about the implosion of our own families. Many of you have, have suffered through, have seen firsthand what happens when a family implodes. But, I don't, but even with all that, there's something even more. 
that, that, that threatens the very essence, the existence of our country. And I'm not even just talking about a nuclear threat or ISIS or Iran. Those are all important threats as well. Very, very serious. But I'm talking about the fact that we have murdered in my lifetime. I was born in 1967. In my lifetime, Americans have mur murdered more than 55 million babies. 55 million. A few years ago, I had the, the honor uh, of, of going to visit the Auschwitz death camp the Nazi death camp in southern Poland. And I, that set into motion a, a book that uh, Dr. Nyquist referenced, The Auschwitz Escape. But as I was standing, Joel Rosenberg, in, in a gas chamber, an actual real gas chamber, not a reconstruction, not a museum, not a model, an actual gas chamber where people died. More than 1.1 million people were murdered at Auschwitz. About a million of those were Jews, another 100,000 were political prisoners and uh, all kinds of other people. When I was standing in that gas chamber, I, I was trying to imagine what had happened here. How could this evil have happened? But even as a, as a Jewish person whose family fortunately didn't go through that, our family escaped out of Russia and got to the United States before all that happened. But in addition to thinking about the, the, the magnitude of the horror of the Holocaust, the murder, the systematic murder of six million Jewish people, I found myself thinking in that moment, in that gas chamber, about the 55 million American children that we have systematically murdered since 1973. And, I, and, I, and I, as I went through that camp, in addition to thinking about the events that happened there, I couldn't help but think, in the next few years, if, if, if this is not changed in America, we will hit 60 million abortions, 60 million babies that we have murdered. Now think about that. If, if, if God forbid we hit that number, 60 million, we will have killed 10 times more people than the Nazis killed of the Jews. Now we know what happened to Nazi Germany. We know the judgment that fell on Nazi Germany. And I think most of us would have said that was justified. God had to judge and destroy that people. Now there's a, there's a new Germany that has emerged out of that. What do we think is going to happen in a country that murders 10 times more people? My friends, implosion is coming. Judgment is coming. And I say that as an American. My, my mom's side of the family was daughters of the American Revolution. They, they, they left England to come to this land to set up a shop. My, my relatives who were Methodist circuit riding preacher, gospel preaching, uh, you know, Methodist. God bless them. On my father's side, they, as Orthodox Jews, they escaped out of Russia, out of the pogroms, out of the terrible violence and anti-Semitism and persecution of the Jewish people to come here. This is where we came to faith in Jesus. This is where we came to know Jesus as Messiah. And this is where, we came, where our lives were transformed by the gospel. So it is with deep pain that I say this about our country, but I, you need to understand as, as students at Moody Bible Institute, the clock is ticking. It's amazing that God has given us the, the unwarranted, you know, un, you know, deserved favor that he has so far. 
We need leadership, yes, at, at every national and international or every national and state level to change, but, but we need more than a, a president. We need more than a, a Washington leadership. We need a third great spiritual awakening or this country is finished. And I, I plead with you, I plead with you to be men and women of prayer, of fasting, of, of, of calling yourselves together, not just to be students here at this great, historic, wonderful institution with its rich history. You, we, we, need more, we need more of you. We need you to be uh, faithfully praying, fasting, and pleading. Second Chronicles 7.14, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will hear their prayer. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. Now, you have to understand, that promise was not made to the United States of America. That was a promise to Israel. Second Chronicles, chapter 7, verse 14. Read the chapter. Read the context. But the principles are applicable. And I can't tell you whether God will give us a third great awakening. He's given us two game-changing, sweeping spiritual awakenings in our past, in the 1700s and the 1800s. Indeed, Dwight L. Moody was part of this great movement of God that continued on into, well into the 1900s. I can't tell you whether God will say yes. The question is whether you and I will humble ourselves and pray and call, our, call the church to repentance. And to plead with God, change us. We don't deserve to be rescued, but change our country before it's too late. My friends, that is our only hope. And it's, and it's incumbent upon me to tell you that, even though it's a, it's a sobering message. Number two, on top of all of our other national challenges and sins, one of the big questions I have is, will America abandon or turn against the Jewish people, and the state of Israel. You know, God said very clearly in his word, Genesis chapter 12, in the Abrahamic covenant, he said to Abraham and thus to his descendants, I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. On top of everything else that we're doing wrong as a nation, and even the mistakes and the troubles we're having inside the, the body of, of Messiah within the church, if on top of that we abandon or turn against the people who God set aside for himself, we very well could trigger Genesis 12, 3 against ourselves. Overall, the United States and, and, and the church generally is, you know, has a love for Israel. America has been the most faithful ally of Israel and Israel has been our most faithful ally in the Middle East. But there's a growing number of voices that say it's time to, time to call that to an end. It's time to turn against Israel, to cut off all of our military aid, to boycott Israel, to divest from Israel, to sanction Israel, to turn against her. Is Israel a perfect country? Absolutely not. Is it a country that knows the Lord Jesus as the Savior? No, not yet. We are heading towards a Romans 11:26 world where all Israel will be saved, but we're not there yet. And yet God's covenant with Abraham remains. God loves Israel, even though Israel doesn't yet love God. And just because we as the Jewish people are the chosen people, chosen by God, that's not enough. 
we need to choose him back. And so the church needs to engage in loving Israel amidst her sins, amidst her mistakes. We don't want to glorify or idealize Israel. On the other hand, we don't want to not pay attention to her. We need to show unconditional love and unwavering support for the people of Israel and their right and responsibility to defend themselves against a radical Islamic jihad, an offensive that's sweeping across the region. And we need to bear witness of God's love and, uh, and the gospel, the good news that the, the, the great hope of Israel, the Messiah, has already come. That Jesus is the Messiah, that he's transformed our lives and he wants to do this for Israel. That God loves Israel with an everlasting love, Jeremiah 31. And he wants the people of Israel to hear the good news. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of the Messiah. How will they know in Israel unless people tell them the good news? And how will people tell them unless they're sent? Right? I mean, and, and, and so I'm asking you, is God calling you to be part of the prayer movement for the peace of Jerusalem? I believe he is, Psalm 122, verse 6. Praying for the, the eyes of Jews and Muslims to be open to Jesus as Messiah. To be engaged in showing the love of Jesus to the country that Jesus went to, right? Jesus was born into a Jewish family in Israel. He died and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures in Israel. And he's coming back again to Israel. And you and I are going to stand one day before the Jewish Messiah. He's not just the Jewish Messiah. He's, Isaiah 49, the prophet tells us, it's too small a thing, God says to the Messiah, for you to just uh, reach and save the, the lost tribes of, of the Jewish people of Israel. That's your mission, but it's not just that. That's too small a thing just to save Israel. I want you to be a light to the nations. I want you to show, God's saying it, I want you to show my love, my wonderful, game-changing, life-changing love to the Palestinian people because I love them, to the Syrian people because I love them, to the Lebanese people because I love them, to the Jordanian and Egyptian and Iraqi and Iranian and Kurdish and uh, Saudi people because I love them. You and I are going to stand before the Jewish Messiah one day in heaven. Maybe sooner than we think. And the question, if you're already born again believer, you're, you're, you're going to be in heaven no matter what because of what God did for you. But the question is, what will you have done for the Lord? Will you have ignored the Jewish people? Will you have mistreated the Jewish people? Will you have been hostile to the Jewish people? Or will you have done everything you could as God guides you through the power of the Holy Spirit to be a witness to, a blessing to Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus? I don't think you want to stand before the Jewish Messiah one day and have been ignorant of or unresponsive to the heart of God on this issue. And yet, a growing number of voices in Washington, in state capitals, in the media, and even in the church are saying, turn away from Israel. Some of this is because of anti-Semitism, to be honest. Some of this is because of isolationism, war weariness. Some of this is just out of ignorance. And some of this is out of theological error. And I'm asking you, I'm calling you, I'm pleading with you, don't be part of any of that. You are being trained in the scriptures and the whole counsel of God. Understand it from Genesis 
and the Abrahamic covenant right through to Revelation where Jesus comes and reigns from Jerusalem. And, and ask the Lord, to, where, where, what role do you play in blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus? Last part of this is, uh, there are so many other threats, but this last part is the threat to, not just to the United States that we would implode without a third great awakening, and not just to Israel that she will be increasingly isolated and turned against even by the church, but there is a grave threat a grave danger facing all followers of Jesus Christ in the Middle East in the form of radical Islam. And while I'm Jewish and I love Israel and we've just moved to Israel, let me be clear, crystal clear. Followers of Jesus Christ who love Israel and understand God's biblical plan and purpose for Israel and the Jewish people must not be blind to the suffering of the Arab and Iranian and Muslim world, nor deaf to their cries for justice and mercy, nor dull to the terror and tyranny they face. We are witnessing a radical Islamic offensive sweeping across the Middle East from Gaza to Syria to Iraq. Leaders in Washington and across the world are slow to see and slow to act but the church must step up. Let us not wait for Washington. Let us not wait for the United Nations or the European Union. Let us not wait for Israel or the Arab League to understand these things. The church must step up. We serve the king of glory. Our king was born in the epicenter. Again, he's, he died and rose again in the epicenter. He's coming back again to reign in the epicenter. And he's coming soon. I'm not Harold Camping. I don't know how soon. Don't ask me afterwards, okay? But your brothers and sisters and mine, followers of Jesus Christ in that region, are being beheaded by the jihadists. They are being crucified by the jihadists. They are being slaughtered by the jihadists. And the world is so slow to act and yet what is the church doing? We need to be engaged. We need to be proactive. We need to learn, pray, give, and go. As you think about all these threats, and particularly the ones related to Israel in the Middle East, and you, as you develop a heart of love and compassion for both sides, God is not either or, Israel or the Arabs. He's both and. He loves both. And, he, and he's, got a, he's got a people that he's calling out of these places that he wants to come into the kingdom. And he wants you and I to be engaged in this. Learn, pray, give, and go. Learn what's happening in the region. The, one of the reasons I've gotten out of politics, I've gone through what I call political detox. I'm out, I'm clean, though I had to travel to speak in Iowa recently and I had a patch, you know, I needed because it's just a... I'm trying to be out of partisan politics right now. It's enough to focus on Bible prophecy and Israel and radical Islam and the gospel. Those are, you know, enough challenging provocative issues than to add partisan politics to them. But the reason I got out of that and, and, and began writing these books, both fiction and non, was in part to help people learn what's happening. My next, well, my first book that I ever wrote was called The Last Jihad. Because I was worried that this, this issue of jihad, of radical Islam, was coming and it was going to 
affect us. It was going to hit us in our own country. I wrote my first novel. The first page of The Last Jihad puts you inside the cockpit of a jet plane that's been hijacked by radical Islamic terrorists coming in on a kamikaze attack into the United States. I wrote that nine months before September 11th, 2001. Happens to hit Denver, not Washington or New York. Happens to be a private plane, a Gulfstream 4, not a commercial jumbo jet. But in that novel, that kamikaze attack by radical Islamic terrorists into the United States sets into motion a war that topples Saddam Hussein. That, I was finishing that novel on the morning of 9-11. I was not thinking things were going to move that fast, but I, I had this sense after working for the Prime Minister of Israel and for other Israeli uh, uh, leaders and experts and, and, and American ones as well, that I needed to stop thinking about politics. I needed to start communicating to the broader public of the threats that were coming and the responsibilities that we have as believers to, do, to be aware of what's coming, to learn about it, and to be engaged in some way. I just finished a few months ago a new novel. Uh, it's called The Third Target. I traveled throughout uh, the Middle East asking people, what are some of the dangers that you see? I talked to the top intelligence officials and, and prime ministers and others in the, in the region, and I asked, what do you see coming? This was over the last few years. And they said there's a group called ISIS. And, you need, and there, there's, it's the Islamic State, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a morphing of Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Now they call themselves the Islamic State of Al-Sham, meaning the Levant, meaning they want to set up an Islamic kingdom or caliphate in Iraq, in Syria, in Jordan, in Lebanon, in Israel. And then they want to build a global kingdom. I said, that sounds bad. <laughs> they said, that's true. I was uh, sitting with the former head of Israeli intelligence, the Mossad, having this conversation. I was sitting in Amman, Jordan, uh, with the prime minister of Jordan and the interior minister and foreign minister of Jordan and, 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 and American leaders, military, intelligence, former director of the CIA. Everywhere I was turning, I kept hearing ISIS. ISIS is the threat. ISIS is the threat. So I thought, I'm going to write a novel about what if. What if a New York Times reporter caught wind that ISIS had just captured chemical weapons in, uh, in a base in Syria? What if he followed those rumors into Syria to see if he could get an interview with the commander of ISIS? And what if that set into motion an understanding that not only did ISIS have these chemical weapons and the means to deliver them, but was planning a major genocidal attack? What if in that process this reporter knew that ISIS was already engaged in trying to bring down the government of Iraq and bring down the government of Syria, but what if he discovered that ISIS had a new target, a third target? What would that target be? Israel? The United States? Or something or someone else? What is the third target? So I wrote a novel. And honestly, at that point, I was a little concerned with my publisher, uh, Tyndale House, which has been a great publisher. I've, it's a tremendous relationship and friendship. But I was a little concerned that they were like, all right, no one's ever heard of ISIS. So if you write a novel about ISIS, we appreciate that. But I mean, you know, I mean, no one's ever heard of that. Well, that's been taken care of. I think we're 
I think we're past that point now. In fact, things are moving so rapidly now that while the novel, The Third Target, is supposed to release in March, uh, Tyndale just sent me a note last night saying, okay, we can't wait. Events are moving so rapidly that if this novel is going to be useful to anyone, we need to get it out faster. So on January 6th, uh, 2015, we'll release this novel, and I'll begin writing, and, and, and there'll be links to it and, and more information about it. Uh, why? Because people need to understand the magnitude of this threat. In the novel, I'm not going to give it all away, but it, you know, someone's beheaded in one of the early chapters in the novel. And now we're seeing these events unfold. Why do I say this? To sell books? No. Get it at the library. Don't get it all. What do I care? You know, you know, I'm doing it because I feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not trying to sell you a book. What I'm trying to do is warn you that a sword is coming. Literally, a sword is coming. It's here. It's now. And, and, and the rest of the world's like, look, you know, even the American people generally and, and, and our government's like, look, we've done a lot in the Middle East. We're kind of worn out of that. We got other things. We got Ray Rice to worry about. We got, you know, there's, there's other things to worry about. And there are. But you have to understand that the Islamic State, they're of a different kingdom. They're on the move. They're driven by satanic forces. They are killing not to terrorize. That's not their main objective. They are killing as blood sacrifice to demonic powers. You have to understand this. This is not just, we hate America. Yeah, that's that. We hate Israel. We hate anyone in our way. No, they are coming to build a kingdom for their God. And they are doing blood sacrifice to their God. And the church needs to be advancing the kingdom. And I want to close with, uh, so, so learn, you got, I write these books and on Twitter and Facebook and blogging to help people understand these issues, novels as well as nonfiction. I, I, I need you, you to engage in prayer for the persecuted church in the Middle East, for the unbelievers, for Muslims. We need to love our neighbors and love our enemies enough to pray for them. They are suffering in, in Syria, 191,000 Muslims are dead, slaughtered. It's near genocidal conditions. We can't change, probably, our own foreign policy. We can try, we need to be engaged, but we can help the church provide food and clothing and medical supplies and other relief to believers, Arab believers who are caring for these refugees who are fleeing for their lives. Learn, pray, give, give to ministries like the Joshua Fund and Samaritan's Purse and other ministries that are doing work to help strengthen our brothers and sisters. Our ministry doesn't just bless Israel because theologically we know that we're supposed to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. Learn, pray, give, and go. Some of you are called to the inner cities of Chicago, to children's ministry, to reaching uh, unreached tribes in, in jungles in different parts of the world. Bless you, train hard and do your work because Jesus is coming and time is limited. But some of you are called to go and serve in the Middle East, serve in the epicenter, to raise awareness and engage resources and even to go. Don't shirk your calling because it's difficult. Is it hard? Yes, it's hard. Is it dangerous? Yes, it's dangerous. But Jesus laid down his life in love to save us. Will you and I lay down our lives in love to serve him?
when people and nations are in danger, when there is a threat coming, will you blow the trumpet? Will you sound the alarm? Will you bring the good news to people who have none? This is the grave challenge of our moment. And the good news is we only have one person to please. It's not your parents. It's not your missions board. It's not your professors, though you should honor and bless all of them. We have one person we need to please, and that is our King, our Savior, our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you stand before him one day, you want to hear what I want to hear. Well done my good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for these students, these professors, and those who come today. Help them understand the enormous threats that we face and to process Ezekiel 33. Help them be faithful watchmen on the wall to see the threats coming, understand them, and know how to respond in faithfulness to you. And we say, come Lord Jesus, we need you more than ever. For it's in the great name of our, our Lord and our Savior and our soon coming King Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. God bless you.